Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from three different perspectives this week. I'm Keith Foster, I write Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift in Wanders of Melsonda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Gary Hodges, I'm the creator of Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots, the indie comic series. Yeah, and we're going to get into it a little bit here, but he's not just Gary Hodges. He's artist Gary Hodges, because we are all men of our word, and we wanted to bring you back when artist Gary was was in the thick of it, and that's going to kind of be what our main topic is as we center around it. Um, Hey, I think I can give away something a little bit, which is we're in Phoenix and my voice is shot to hell. Right and uh, and therefore uh, the the enterprising detectives will know that it's because of Phoenix Fan Fusion. So we're all in the same place, and um, we we have Phoenix Fan Fusion as the uh, as kind of the lightning rod, I guess, around which we uh, we organize it. So Gary, why don't you go first? You know, like like what did you think of Phoenix Fan Fusion today? You you did a one day thing with us. What are your thoughts? Well, okay, I will say that I, I, I think I can speak for all of us, where we have Phoenix fan fusion fatigue. I am also, my voice feels shot, I'm a little, little low energy, but, uh, so, I thought it was great. I was actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, by how good the foot traffic was, uh, how good the sales were, given the fact that I set up a very modest space, uh, courtesy of you guys, thank you very much, and I did no big promos, I didn't drive crowds to show up and see me, Mm -hmm. Uh, and actually after 2019, people who follow me on my YouTube or or wherever else, they'll know that I had talked about maybe swearing off the cons, I was sort of over the con experience, I felt like it had turned into something else, it was very Hollywood, and and about things other than indie comics, and that's not where my audience was. This one actually is making me doubt my whole assessment. Like, this one makes me excited to go back next year. I thought it was a pretty good show. What did you guys think? Why'd you go? I mean, so when we're recording this, we are two of three days in, so every estimate we make is two-thirds of the way in. Here, hold on. Everybody pop shit. Okay, and I'm going to move my chair, too. Um, did you want? There's Trulies. This is the beer we had at the show, and uh, this is the nude one that I drink on the pod sometimes. And say it doesn't taste like anything until like the last. It has an afterbite of the flavor, so it tastes like fizzy water with an afterbite of flavor. Yeah. Well, as 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 tempting as that sounds, <laughs> no, and as tempting as it is to say like I'm gonna go nude. Uh, no, I think I'm gonna do this hus. Okay, I think we're gonna do, yeah. So let's right. do a quick. What are we drinking? All right, so I'm going with the Trulies, courtesy of our Airbnb. There was three Trulies in the fridge, and I'm gonna take one. It's a peach tea hard seltzer. So uh, I wanted to grab something that I usually don't drink on the pod, and I don't usually drink ever. So yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I'm and doing you. the uh, Huss Brewing Company Scottsdale Blonde. There yeah. are a lot of blondes in Scottsdale, I can tell you. That's this a is a pretty delicious peach tea. I'm going to tell you right now. This is this is a pretty good seltzer right here. I enjoy this. Yeah, and I'm uh, speaking of something you usually don't do on the podcast. I am drinking a Jose Cuervo Playa Mar hard seltzer lime, which probably came from you, right? No, that came from the Airbnb. Hell yeah, that came from the previous <laughs> resident. All yeah. right, good, good, good. So, yeah, I, I we had a couple beers through the day. Um, I am a bit beard out. 
I had I, three, and I'm still good. I could have a couple more. Okay, yeah, but it's it's not that I don't want more drinks. It's that I just don't want another beer. You know, got what it. I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, okay. So, were you talking? You were talking. No, no I, I you were wrapped okay. up. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's so, correct. So my first impression of the convention is anime and manga is huge right now. Um, the large majority of the artists in Artist Alley are manga or manga. I'm, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Manga artists. And it's it's kind of bizarre. Like so, I usually do American style comics, and I'm in the minority, and that's so bizarre to think about. Like doing a comic convention where I'm in the minority minority, where it's not specifically an anime convention. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's just where the future is going. Like the younger generations. Like I know my 28 uh, year old nephew. All he watched was like Pokemon, Naruto, Dragon Ball. So, like, that's where he is, and I know a lot of that audience, and skewing even younger, uh, that's where they, that's where the future lies. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I, I think to say, like, being an indie comic artist felt like being in a, in a severe minority, you know what I mean? Like, I, I felt that, that it, I don't know, I can't, I can't explain it, it's like, we had more sales because there are so few of us. There, there are fewer places for people to go at Phoenix Fan Fusion this year for indie comics, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just very—it's been very crazy. Two days in, I've—I've I've had two very busy days, which shocks me. You know, like I—I I haven't sat around bored nearly as often as usual. And again, I have great shows and sit around bored often. You know, um, so yeah, yeah. This today, today was a bit just bizarre world. You know what I mean? The fact that Scott stood for 85 hours on end doing commissions, you know, had a lot to do with it, too. It was just like, yeah, Scott's action figure was just standing at the booth facing out as you were doing commissions with, like, you know, uh, screen references and stuff like that. It was pretty crazy. Let me tell you, the one I'm going to hang on to that kind of makes me feel better about all of it was the guy who came by and I think bought books from all of us. Yes. He was this one guy who came by, and, and he and I were talking a little bit, and he had said something like, you know, I come to Comic-Cons to get comics. You know, I want books. I want indie comics. And, like, and most of this is not that. And yeah. I was just like, I... God bless him. you. Yes. Yeah. You are deity one you of God's in. chosen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope he is blessing you right now. <laughs> I hope so. But, yeah. like, that's like, yes, that's what it should be. And I, yeah. I but I also, I, I enjoyed it not only as someone who's selling a comic, but as someone who's been exactly in his boat where I don't want aisles and aisles of prints. I don't want, like, I want to actually read something, mm-hmm. you know, and something that's not you know, my take on Batman. You know, I want yeah. to say, like, come, give me something new, give me something fresh, give me something indie, man. You know? Yeah. And, like, I liked that that guy, he was like, that's what I want. I'm looking for it and I'm buying it. Yeah. yeah. that's totally. a, That was happening with us a lot, I would say. Like, all of the sales that we've made, it's people that were specifically looking for comic books. Yeah. You know, uh, Keith had a lot of great, like, hey, what's that figure? And then Keith pitches the book and, like, honestly, it was... You know, like you said, it was it, it was a little bit bizarre world in the sense that you barely needed to say anything. Yeah. Whereas usually when we pitch our books, we have to pitch the whole thing. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is a book I do. Or he would step away. Someone would walk up to the table and go, hey, how much are these books? Mm-hmm. And there was no sales pitch, nothing. They would just sell. So, like, that was crazy and crazy awesome for Keith. So, 
uh, definitely a good day for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I obviously love that part. I mean, there is, there's a certain charm in just leaving the table to go to a bathroom and walking back and someone has their books in their hand and they're like handing one of you guys a credit card, you know, like that's, hey, that's, it's great. It's, I'm glad that I came back in time to like sign the books and do all that, you know? So yeah, man, it's, it's been good, you know? Um, Phoenix, we wanted to talk a little bit about Phoenix as a whole. You know, I was telling Gary when we were waiting for our burritos that Phoenix just has a unique flavor to it. You know, um, early on, Scott and I hatched uh, you know the the game show that all of America loves to play while driving around Phoenix, and is is that man homeless? Is he homeless? <laughs> and uh, boy, lots lots of options. Yeah, you know? about fifty percent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this too. Like, I don't know how the hell you can be homeless in a town where the high is 105 right now. I don't you know? either. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I've lived here my whole life. I have no idea. Yeah, how they're doing it. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's just there there are a fair amount of homeless, but there's also a fair amount of like quasi homeless. Right? right. I mean, again, yeah. if it it wouldn't be an interesting game if it was obvious. Well, another another interesting thing that's happened to us since we've been here, we were on our way back from the convention yesterday after dinner with a friend. We get into the Uber, and the guy says, you guys been getting pizza, beer, and... Just say it, and I'll beep it. <laughs> and I'm taken aback. Like, wait, what just happened? Like, <laughs> we, we literally just got in the Uber, and he says that to us, and I'm like, whoa, this is going to be a wild ride. Yeah. And he thinks he's a stand-up comedian. Yes. No. He fancies himself. Um, Jack said he is the Arizonian version, uh, Arizonan, right? Arizonan, yeah, Arizonan version yeah. of Andrew Dice Clay. So, and he's like, who's Lord Andrew Dice Clay? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know who he was. And we're like, you should watch him. Like, you, like you're doing his shtick right now. And, uh, you know, we're just talking or whatever, and then, like, joking and, like, trying to find, like, what comedians do you like? Because he's fancying himself comedian, and he's telling me, and like, like he liked Taylor Thompson. She's solid. And then um, Keith mentioned something about like COVID, and he goes, "Oh, you afraid of a little cough?" And and Keith's like, "Oh, okay." So it's like we all kind of knew the score after that. Like, I had a pretty strong indication when we got into the car, right, right. and then it just was like the nail in the coffin that yeah. made sense. So yeah. it was an interesting ride, to say yeah. the least. Well, that was that was roughly the point where I decided I was done with his little stand-up show for us, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, he would say stuff, and then I used one of, you know, a couple times I used one of my favorite deflection tools, which is just getting weird, right? Mm -hmm. And so what was the one thing he said? He said, he made a line that said, once you go past... 15th Street going west. You don't need to go any further in America, right? And I was like, "Wow, that's like that's like being on the edge of the Shire in Lord of the Rings." Yeah, <laughs> he didn't get it. He didn't. No, of it. course, it's he fine. didn't. Yeah, right. I just that's fine. Let's. Yeah. I, I just, I just want to. I just sort of want to shut you down mm -hmm. with whatever I can do. And, and me and just, me and my buddy Jack. Shout out Jack. Yeah. Uh, me and Jack got a nice laugh out of that. So he was just a little confused and know what was going on. So thankfully that was the end of the ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uber, Uber. Well, yeah. Lyft has been, I mean, just a, really the spectrum, right? Like they've been some, we had some awesome Uber Lyft drivers. Yeah. And we had that. And, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's been a good time. Um, it's been a good time. Yeah. So no complaints so far from Phoenix Fan Fusion. Everything is great so far. Um, you know, tomorrow it's all gravy. So, so that's definitely good. Um, yeah. Gary, what was the first thing you did this week? The first thing I did this week, <clears throat> well, I was, uh, because I knew I was going to lose a day working on my comic today, I was 
working furiously to get ahead so I could take a day off. So early this week, I was thinking I was pushing, pushing, pushing to try and finish the latest page of my latest comic, D vs. M 1979, out probably early next year. Um, mark your calendars. Mark your calendars. Uh, normally, I try to be starting a new page every Saturday morning. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that this time, so I wanted to get ahead so I could be starting the new page Thursday and Friday. So that's that was this week. Okay, right on. And it was successful. You're it was successful. To... I'm right on track now. So now tomorrow when I'm drawing, I'll be right where I would have expected to be, even when, though I missed a day. Do you go in page order? Do you start at page one, go to page two? I do. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes the most sense, though. Is there another way to do it? It, it feels like drawing yes. sequentially, you might not want to mess with that. There was. Too much. With, uh, so with D vs. M 1997, with, uh, the listeners may not know this because they haven't read it, but you guys have. There's two basic kind of... Uh, you have a character relaying a story of something that happened a few days before. So it opens in one place with the character. The middle part is sort of her recounting where you're flashing back, and then the end is back with that character in the original location. I did those in sequence. I didn't want to break those up, because I wanted to keep them visually consistent. So mm -hmm. I did all of scene A stuff, which is the first part of the book and the last part of the book, in a row, and then I switched and did all the flashback stuff. That might be the only time I would switch around. I switch around all the time. Mm -hmm. So with the Slack method, the... The idea is you draw what you feel like drawing. Yeah. So I lay the whole book out. So I have the thumbnails for everything. So I can see, hey, this is actually an easy page. This is the type of page that would get me in the correct flow. So sometimes you just want to bang out the easy stuff in order to get you in the right headspace, you know, the right drawing space. Because sometimes it's a struggle. It's like, you're like, well, this page is crazy. And it's like you just woke up or you're, you haven't drawn in a little bit of time or whatever. So you kind of got to get it warmed up. I'm not an artist that warms up with drawing sketches. I'm an artist that warms up by drawing pages because time is precious. It's like, let's get this done. Like, I know my characters enough where I don't need to warm up to remind myself what they look like. But once in a while, you want to tackle the easier easier stuff just to make it flow. That's interesting. I didn't realize. I knew the Slack method. Uh, you would hop around on a page and like draw did like, well, I'm gonna do this panel now, you know, skip around. I didn't realize that also applied to pages themselves that you might hop around through your book. Yeah, absolutely. So I lay out the entire book like in small thumbnails. And so my spreadsheet that I created has eight pages on it. And so page one uh, of, of the eight pages all black out, right? Because that's the inside cover of the book. And then, so the real page one is in the second box, you know, so when I lay it out, I can see where the double, sp double page spreads go um, and just the flow of the story. So that way I can just look over everything and go, okay, where am I starting? What looks good? Look, what looks hard? And uh, what am I feeling at the moment? Like, am I feeling a difficult page? Do I think I can tackle it? Okay, let's do it. So, and that's the beauty of the Slack method. It's not to always do the easiest thing. It's to do the thing you feel like in that moment. So if you're feeling brave that day and you're like, yeah, all backgrounds, this, I'm doing backgrounds today. So if I ever feel like that, which is few and far between, I'll go through and find all the backgrounds that are difficult in the book because it's flowing. And I'm like, these, these are so rare that I want to take advantage of it. So it, it could be the first page. It could be the last page. It could be right in the middle. It's interesting. You're a, you're a looser uh, self boss than I am. Like, I feel like, nope, that's the next page. Yeah. 
<laughs> get to work. You know, do it. This draw monkey. This is the page yeah. you're drawing this week. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the thing with the Slack method is, you're always like, okay. So I used to do that as well. I used to always go. It has to go in order. What happens though is you drag your feet sometimes when it's something you don't feel like drawing. Mm -hmm. So it takes way longer than it should. So with my method, it's it's a constant flow. It's constant movement. There's no slowdown because you're not. You're not drawing something you don't want to draw, mm -hmm. but if your if your boss self goes, no, you have to draw this difficult ass page. You're like, well, I don't really feel like it. I guess I'm working slow today, boss, but I'll still work on it. And so for me, it's counterproductive because it's like, no, just just stay in the flow, keep moving. And um, like that happened with Wanderers. There was two pages that I just didn't know what I was going to do with. I ended up drawing the entire book and got to those two pages at the end. And I'm like, well, now I have to figure it out. And I figured it out pretty quickly. But it was like, well, I got everything else done, so there's nothing else to do but to figure this out. That does happen, I think, on a micro level within a page. Because there's always things on the page that I'm not excited to draw. And those always end up being the things I'm drawing on Thursday or Friday. You know, late. Because yes. I yeah. do hold myself to my uh, rate. Like, every Saturday morning, you're starting a new page. No matter what. You know, so, and when I miss it, I'm furious with myself. And I really am miserable. So what happens is, yeah, Thursday or Friday, all the stuff, the low-hanging fruit is done. What's left to do is the stuff that, like, I'm not excited about drawing this, but I, I got to finish. No one else is going to do it. Yeah, and, yeah. like, I'm running out of time. Yeah. And it's, just, it's just, like a, just like a day job, like, just like a paying job, having a client work. You know, it's like, I, I can't move the deadline. I got to do it, you know? Someone's waiting, and... I'm the someone, but it's like, I can't, I can't dodge this any longer. So I guess I'll draw this person's hair or I guess I'll draw this background that I was really dreading. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. How about you, man? What was your uh, first thing you did this week? Oh man, time. Um, let's see. What did I do? I honestly, I was doing a lot of prepping for this con, but I actually managed to finish another page of Zipatones um, for Wanderers Melisana 3. Getting into Zipatones is really difficult if you haven't done it in a long time. You're essentially learning how to color a page with dots and gradients. And you're like, how do you do that? How does one go about doing that? It's just like grayscale dots and, and, and it's like, what else? Cell shading. Um, so, but after you get back into it, you kind of figure out a process that makes the most sense. So for me, number one is finding out where your light source, light source is for every panel. And that makes it easier for me to do uh, cell shading. Do you know, are you familiar with cell shading? Keith, are you familiar with cell I shading? I am not. Explain it. So cell shading is what you see in anime most of the time. So where there's a, a shadow under the, the chin, mm. and it's a clear line. You know, it's just like a lot of, I think even Warner Brothers stuff, they would do it at times. Mm. Um, so it's just a clear line of shadow. And uh, it's not a gradient or anything. It's just a solid gray color, right? So I'll do the cell shading and that really gives me an indication where the light is coming from. So therefore where I need to put gradients for, you know, whatever's in the background, mountains, trees, etc. Um, and so you really, that is really part the second part of the process. Cause then you have a kind of like flat foundation, even though it's gradients, there's like a flatness to it. And then after that, I will go and put highlights. So I'll create another level, uh, another, another layer. And I'll do like, okay, so if the shadows are on this side, that means light's hitting this side. So I'll highlight that with different textures. I'll maybe use a sketchy pencil or something if it's, uh, you know, like maybe on the skin. So it doesn't seem like they just got some white stuff on their face. 
So um, I'll do that all over the panel. It's like, okay, where is the light hitting uh, in these panels and um, move from there. And then when I get to that part of the process, I'm like, it's pretty much done. And you're like, wow, okay, it all came together. But it's just like this four part process that I have to go through in order for the panel to look complete. And then once I refigured that out, because I had figured it out in the very first book, it's nice to go like, oh yeah, that's right. You know how to do this. It's just, it's almost like uh, learning a new language, you know, or a new instrument or something like that. There's part of the process where you have to push through. Mm -hmm. And until you do then, it feels awful. Mm -hmm. you're, you're like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I, I'm not good at this. I don't want it. And I was getting that with the, the Zipatones again. I'm just like, I don't remember how to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 you do. Calm down. Just go through the process. And then once I got through it, Easy peasy. That's awesome. That's go. awesome. Yeah, for me, um, I mean, I don't know how many things we're going to do this week. We'll see. We, we, we want to do another round after this, or are we good with one? I think one's good. Yeah, one's good. That's okay, all good. Got. Yeah. good. Good, good. <laughs> all right, so for me, um, while I, I suppose it's the most interesting thing to talk about on the podcast, which is I actually finished the cover to Kadoja number one, Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one, my cover. Um, and I think we're almost ready for your cover, too. And, uh, I mean, I've seen it, obviously. We just need to drop the logo on it. Right. And then uh, once we have both of those, I mean, uh, when this airs, I believe it'll be day one of the Kadoja Symphony of Madness Kickstarter. So they'll be up, there's, and we'll be doing cover drops and stuff uh, between now and then. But anyway, that's what I ended up coming up with. Very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's it's the collage thing that Lance did. I'm just trying to keep the spirit of that using yeah. different versions of art that's actually within the comic book. Scott obviously looked at it already. Yeah, I yeah. think it's it's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. yeah. If you told me Lance did it, I would believe you. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to learn and copy the masters and <laughs> go from there. So, And, it, you know, this is one of those cases of, like, I'm happy that, I mean, this sort of my first foray into doing this kind of stuff. What I like is... I know exactly what I want. Like, that's the easiest thing about it. So I will say that I, I can see a little bit into, like, this world that you guys have where it's, like, it's it's so easy to convey to yourself what you want something to look like, you know? And that's so much of it. You know, again, you're, you're an artist that has a lot of the input on your own anyway. And then there's, like, uh, sometimes you deal with something that's written for you. A lot of, or other times you are actually writing it in that you're doing all the scenes, uh, Marvel Method, and then Ed is coming back and doing the writing, writing, but not, like, the scene direction. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, obviously, in your case, you're both. Um, but, yeah, in my case, as the writer, it's, like, it's so important to have good words to convey, you know, the gist of what you want the pages to look like to the artist, um, but boy, boy, is it a great shortcut if you don't have to do any of that, right. you know? So yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with how it came out. Um, I had for symphony of madness, I actually have a more clear idea of what I want the cover to issue two to look like than the cover to issue one. So, um, this was the harder one for me to figure out what to do. I got some great guidance, um, through the process, I think you gave me some feedback a week or two ago. Kevin and Mike gave me some feedback as well from Invader. So yeah, man, it'll it'll be ready to go, and it'll probably be live within an hour or two of when this comes out, if if not already. So it was great to finally be there and 
you know, there's a little bit of Kickstarter prep and stuff. I think both you and I are in kind of like last minute mode for Kickstarters that probably may both be up yeah. by the time this Yeah, launches. that's right. I keep always forgetting to talk about that. You're like, yeah, mine's going to be up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours too. Yeah, like, no, oh, yeah, that. mine's going to be up too. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look for both of ours. Uh, Wanders of Melisande 3 hopefully will be up by then. Um, we'll see. I got a lot of work to do still, honestly, but there's a lot of work that is done already. So hopefully that will translate to the Kickstarter being up when this airs. Yeah. I, I did want to mention, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, one more thing about the show, which we've talked about, obviously, uh, through the course of the weekend. But the the interesting thing about tabling with each other, because there's so many anime and manga artists out there, it feels like we, you know, it, it feels like we're like 40% of the indie comic creators in Artist Alley, you know, or 30% or 60% or whatever you want to say. So because of that, um, we actually had one instance, Scott and I, yesterday, where someone bought books from both of us. And, uh, you know, just historically, that doesn't happen a lot. People either sort of come to the table for me or come to the table um, for, for you. And what we figured out there was to figure out how, how to... God, I said figure out way too much. Um, but was to... Figures. <laughs> was to make that work for us. And uh, once we called it out, we worked with it. And, and, it, and it was kind of obvious. Yeah, it was. we were just handing off. Yeah. You know, so it was, okay, if, if you like Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters, 90% of Giant Monster fans probably obsessed about dinosaurs from ages 6 to 10 or whatever, or even older, or anything like that. Well, Scott has a book with dinosaurs in it, you know? And in today's case, Gary has a book with dinosaurs in it. So there's this nice cross-pollination that we were doing um, where we've had now had a couple customers where they've bought from you know both of us uh, yesterday and today or maybe a lot of yesterday and then uh, today we actually about an hour after I stated to Gary I was like you know it'd be cool as if someone bought books from all three of us the same person and then we had that person he had bought all of Scott's books yesterday came back I think maybe your his friend I think got something from you today or almost did that's right they're a they're a uh, comeback later you know what he got a card oh that's right, that's right. He, <laughs> so, he did get a card the good old yeah. valuable guys if you're doing conventions and and you're struggling and you have to buy these cards I'm not struggling I could afford these cards that's not what I'm saying oh a business card he didn't get yeah like, a no he didn't card. buy a card he bought a or he he asked for a business card yeah so a trick that I like to do if you guys are new to tabling don't leave your cards out, personally. Yeah. I don't like leaving my cards out. Because people will come by and take them because they feel like they are making you feel better. Like, they're putting in your head, well, they're going to buy something off my website. Or something like that. Or they're going to come back. It's like, no, no, we, we know you're not going to come back. And we know you're not going to buy something off the website. Right. And it's okay. You don't need to take my business card to try to make me feel better. All you're doing really is taking five cents from me it's like hey i'm not gonna buy anything from you but can i have five cents yeah and, and, and i don't need it so yeah. uh keep them behind the table keep them somewhere where they're not easily easily accessible and you can decide if you want to give them a card or not and if they say do you have a business card you can go oh no i ran out yeah and then that way you don't have to give them five cents yeah and then save those business cards for people that actually buy something from you you know, if they genuinely do sound interested in picking something up from your website, that's one thing. If they say, look, I only read digital. Do you have a website I could buy off? Okay, that's fair. You can get a card. Yeah. But if if they're just like completely uninterested and ask you for the card, 
tell them you don't have one. And you know what? And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, on, on a related note, I've never seen a human being take a business card as fast as the guy who walked up to Gary and went, yeah. are these business cards? And he's like, yeah. And went, Joke. I feel like they were in his hands while he was asking. Like, he's like, can I just take these? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the yeah. joke I made at the time was, I think he he thought they were going to like disappear into some kind of time portal before he put his hands. <laughs> I on. mean, to be fair, I do get them from Moo, and they have great feeling. <laughs> I mean, they're really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, but yes. Um, so, but but we did have some some times so far over the weekend where we've been able to kind of cross pollinate and have people uh, more than you know get books from more than one of us at the table, which was super cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, but um, so. That gets us to uh, to what we're gonna make more of a free form, I think, main topic this week, which is we wanted artist Gary back, and artist Gary is in the throes of doing his artist Gary thing. And in fact, we were talking about this right before we went live, and Gary's like, "Well, tell me what you guys think about this," and then talked for like a minute and a half, and then Scott was like. I think we should just wait until we hit record <laughs> and go from there. It was all gold. It was, it was gold. It was, it was all gold, but I mean, you know, look, yeah. Scott and I make a make a habit sometimes. I mean, sometimes the extemporaneous stuff is is the gold. So, well, so with that, let's let's turn it over to artist Gary and just talk for a while and see what happens. I'll make a small correction. Uh, actually, it's not Artist Gary's return. It's Artist Gary's debut, I think. Oh, it because is. Because I believe yes. in all the past appearances, it was writer Gary. Mm, yes. Or promo Gary. One of those two guys. Yes. Yeah. Or Christmas Gary. Or Christmas Gary. Belligerent <laughs> Christmas Gary. Yeah, no, but this is... Talking about those digital about, readers that want their, your yeah, card. people who use ranch dressing. Yeah, like just, no, this is Fuck artist all Gary. all of them. Yeah. So for people unfamiliar with me and my work, uh, I am a one-stop shop. I do everything. I come up with the idea, I write the script, and then I draw it. I do the whole thing. I do the covers, I do the interiors, all of it. Um... So, and the only way I found that that works, for example, is when I'm writing a script, I need to be writer Gary. If I'm thinking like artist Gary, I'm going to be uptight. I'm going to be writing things where I'm like, I've never drawn that before. I don't know how to draw that. I don't even know how I'm going to make that look right. That sounds really hard. That sounds chant like, and I'll, I might rein myself in. I kind of have to say F you to artist Gary, and this is writer Gary. I think this is the best script I can write. Artist Gary, you're just gonna have to figure it out. Um, and so now, <laughs> Artist Gary is picking through Ryder Gary's script for D vs. M 1979. How much is he cussing out Ryder Gary? Not happy, not happy with him. For example, Ryder Gary decided that the main character is wearing a very 1979 appropriate plaid jacket that is in almost not only every page, but every panel. And I'm sitting here <laughs> noodling, drawing a plaid jacket probably hundreds of times by the time this comic is done. Not fun. So I'm not happy with writer Gary about that. Then, just when I thought that was miserable enough, main character goes into a dark room where there's a projector going and that's the only illumination in the room. So you're trying to figure out how do I make this all look like it's in shadow? How do I do some harsh light? How do I suggest? I work strictly in black and white in D versus M. And so, didn't one of those walls have some kind of crazy uh, wallpaper on it? One of the walls has a giant <laughs> 1970s curtain with a funky pattern on it. Like there's, I mean, it's just all this stuff where it's like, I gotta draw this. <laughs> that writer Gary. Like that I'm never working bitch. for him yeah. again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's what, what a fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so uh, I'm in the thick of it. And, it's, and actually there are some, uh, there's some relief coming. At one point, the character is going to take off the plaid jacket. Thank God. At one point, the character is going to leave the shadowy room. Thank God. 
But then there'll be other things to replace that that are going to be equally nightmarish to draw. And mm. that's the way it goes. Uh, the way I keep track is I have a very, very stringent quota for myself. I want one finished page a week. Come hell or high water, no excuses. I don't care what's going on. If you're sick, keep drawing. If you, It's like that scene in Goodfellas, remember? It's like if they... By the bar, the problem now. The mob owns the bar. So if like if you're short on money, fuck you, pay me. Like yeah. if you're, the place burns down, fuck you, pay me. Well, this that's kind of the situation I'm in right now. It's like you're doing your page a week, and yeah, sorry, figure it out. There have been times I know no one from my day job will be listening to this where I'm behind and I use PTO because I need to be drawing to hit my quota. Mm-hmm. You know that sh- kind of shows a flip in my mentality where I'm realizing I think of my primary job now as comic. And my day job, which actually pays my rent, as the the other thing, you right, know, which right. is interesting, but we can visit that. Well, time. yeah, but I mean, I'd make the argument that it just it occupies your brain space because it's more of a brain space occupier. Yeah. Unless your day job is the kind of one where it's super mentally intense, you know, and and maybe it is, and maybe it's not. It can be, but I think I've I've actually gotten to that point somewhere along the way. I don't know when it was. I crossed that Rubicon where. I think the comic is more important to me than my day job. The day job is very important to me in the sense, like I said, pays my rent, pays my groceries. Um, but in terms of where my passion is, where most of my preoccupation is, it's with the comic. It's with my creative life. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a question. And, and this is more, you're going to have to sort of know how the other creators work. When it comes to uh, a writer, artist, both... How many of them do you do you think, or are you aware, or could you estimate, do the writer version and the artist version versus people that just kind of do the whole thing as they go? That I, that's a good question, but my impression, based on very limited data, 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 um, I think we're in Arizona. Either are okay. That's well. Are you watching Goonies or Star Trek? That's <laughs> that's. I don't know what I'm watching actually. But I, my impression is that there's a lot of real loose creating mm-hmm. where I think they are writing as they're drawing, and I think sometimes, and this is horrifying to me. My brain doesn't work that way. I think they're writing it page by page as they're drawing it, which I can't wrap my brain around. I need to know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know? and so I. But, and I say this a lot on my YouTube channel, I am not a process Nazi. If you are getting work done and out, sounds good to me. You know, I might not agree with it. It may make no sense to me. Uh, The analogy, I I quote Jerry Seinfeld all the time. He talked once about, like, he doesn't care about for, he doesn't care for process conversations. He doesn't care how you're getting to the island, whether you're swimming or boating or parachuting onto it. Are you getting to the island? And that's kind of how I feel about, are you finishing work? Are you mm-hmm. getting it out there? Then your process sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense because, uh, and maybe you're both familiar with this term, but in, in writing, novel writing, whatever, there, you know, look, the, the world is full of uh, binary either ors, you know, like you're either a Elvis person or a Beatles person, even though that makes absolutely no sense. You know what I mean? You're either <laughs> a this, you're either a that. Right. Right. Um, in writing, one of them is you're a pantser or you're a plotter, right? Mm-hmm. And what you have just described is being a pantser. 
you know, a AKA you make it up as you go along and or you let the character speak to you because you know your character so well. Right. And then, of course, the, the converse is being a plotter and being so thorough in what you want to do um, that you kind of have that rigid structure. You know, I, my personal opinion is that being a plotter is far more important when making comics where being a pantser their term, um, is something that I think you can get away with a lot more in terms of a novel. I know the first novel that I'm trying to finish right now, it, it was very heavily plotted. Um, I plan on doing a 180 for my second novel and really making it more about devoting a ton of time to the characters and then just letting the characters scurry around, which ends up you know, making it seem like I'm just kind of writing it as it goes, but I'm letting the characters be organic. Right. I, you know, I read, I'm familiar with that breakdown, and I read once that George R.R. R. Mar Martin of Game of Thrones fame seems to be a pantser, which is why he's having a lot of trouble wrapping this up. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a hardcore pantser on the spectrum, way pegged on the other side, you make these characters, you kind of let them, you wind them all up and let them loose, and they're all stomping around the room, and there's no real master plan to it. It's like, okay, well, now that you need to shut it down. Yeah. yeah. It's really difficult. Like, well, I think that's, yeah, it, it's, the pantser part of it actually appeals a lot to me, mm -hmm. because when I do stories on my own, that's kind of how I do it. I rough, I know what's going on. As I'm drawing the story, I'm like, I know what's going on. I don't have it written down or plotted, but as I'm drawing, I'm like, yeah, I know where it's going. And after it's done, I can go, okay, well, I know what they sound like, sound like, and I know what the process of the story is, so I can fill in their dialogue because at a certain point they do speak to you, you know. And then we've talked about this actually the last time you were on. Um, at a certain point, just the character's personality dictates what chips they eat. And so I can go through the story and like, well, this is what he would say if this is what's going on. And so the characters are dictating the dialogue, although I have already figured out roughly. I'm like, I know what's going on, know where they're going. And I haven't pieced together the dialogue until writer Scott basically comes in after the fact and does it. And then the real writer, Ed, will take my dialogue and then he'll hype it up. You know, he'll, he'll clean it up, make it better and all that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little different, and um, f like you had mentioned, like, well, it's better to plot for comics. Depending what type of story, I would say that's accurate. So if you're doing a long-form story, you definitely want to plot that out. If you're doing a one-and-done short story, it's okay to pants about it. So Yeah, yeah I, the, the thing I would say, too, about if, if we're doing this pantser plotter thing, um, so I totally see where the George R. R. Martin thing comes in. You know, um, and but I also like to come back to that analogy of mine that I like more the more I think about it, which is if you're going to be a pantser, like you, you can try to combine both. And in my opinion, the way you combine both is to give it that idea of, again, like the open source video game, right? There is a path that gets you from beginning to end of this game. That is the plot. And then, but there's this whole world of stuff you can do. You can just run around and buy Diet Cokes at 7-Eleven, theoretically, if that's what you want to do. But at some point, you're going to have to get to the plot, right? And that's where the, the god comes in, and that is you. That is the author, right? And that's where that, that nudge comes in. 
Um, and that being said, I can totally understand how, you know, what, what George R. R. Martin is talking about or referring to is not necessarily that we're all in, you know, we're all playing Grand Theft Auto 3 spent, that's the last game I played. I refer to it so much and I know I'm totally dating myself, but that's the last game I played as playing games go. I don't know when that came out. I'm not allowed to play games. A long time ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Self-imposed, no longer allowed to play. After Pokemon Go came out and robbed me of a year of my life. Wow. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I was not productive after the first, first five issues of Second Shift. That's when Pokemon Go came out. I am not addicted to drugs, alcohol, or anything like that. I am addicted to collecting things and video games. Pokemon Go is a video game about collecting things. There you go. Yeah. So there went a year of my life. So I think the answer is, I believe it's 2004, just to give you an idea. And oh, then yeah. I was like, I'm, something like that. I'm out, yeah. you know. Um, but so you could walk around punching prostitutes in the face, right? You can do that in Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> Which is why it's one of the greatest games ever. Which is what you've always dreamed of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No consequences. Let me, let me just say, there was no could have on how I played Grand Theft Auto 3. That is a real uh, uh, right. uh, time. But you could do that, but you're never going to get to the story. Um, but that said, I think what where George R. R. Martin is is probably on this higher level of where a lot of characters have spun themselves up into these places and now those places are comfortable. So you're not just running a character around in a circle just in that 7-Eleven eternally buying Diet Cokes. You have a bunch of different characters doing a bunch of different things, but now you have to figure out like, and at me as God gets to get this resolved and get them back together, how? Exactly. <laughs> you know? And it's, so it's the kind of problem that you can only build by writing seven novels or whatever it is beforehand. Well, you know? and I oh, know sorry. I'm nobody, you know, mistake me. I'm not trying to, uh, I don't know, apologize or defend the last season of Game of Thrones. But to me, it was a very understandable mess. Because, again, how are you winding this down? How are you getting everyone to end up in a place that somehow is the semblance of a rational ending? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're kind of just letting people do whatever they want for seven seasons. Yeah. Well, well, the issue is, as much as I pants about my books, if I'm writing them, I always know the start and I always know the ending. Yeah. So it's weird to hear that he doesn't know the ending, you know? And it's just like, how do you know who doesn't end up on the throne? What are you talking about? You right. should absolutely know. that. That's the... You, I don't know. Like, for me, it's kind of wild. 100%. And, like, I think I might have talked to you guys about this before, but I write plot and characters sort of simultaneously, and they're in relationship to each other. Generally, I do come up with a plot first. What would be an interesting idea for a comic? It's like, all right, so then I say, what would be the most interesting kind of character to have to deal with that plot? And then you start going back and forth, and it, a little bit is of the testing of going through drafts is if I wind up this character and let them do their thing, do they end up where I need them to end up? Mm -hmm. And if they didn't, well, then I need to go back to square one with this character and readjust and wind them up again and let them go and see if they end up where I need them to end up. It's So it's kind of a weird free will game where it seems like they're behave They are behaving exactly as they should, but I'm tooling them so they end up where I need them to end up. Exactly how I go about my novel. Exactly. You know, it's, it's this whole, you need to make this change, Keith. And then, and then I think about it, I'm like, well, if I make that change, then that's going to result in, you know, uh, result X from action Y. And then result X is going to make the character do action Z. And then the next result's going to do that. And I'm like, that doesn't get me where I need to go. That's me erasing backwards. And then you have to figure out a new, like, slight tweak 
that is basically still within the character's character mm-hmm. that gets you into the different place you go. It's like a, it's like a fucked up Plinko board. It is. Where you're sort of just trying to make That's it all a great zigzag analogy. around. It's a weird Rube Goldberg where you're watching. It's like, okay, good. Like, this, yeah. is, this is how I kind of wanted them to be. So, yeah. Yeah. All and right. and yeah. sometimes you got to write it to figure out, oh, wow, that's fucked. Doesn't work. You know? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. You can feel the course correction here. You can exactly. feel me making them do something that doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what, what was writer Gary thinking with the plaid jacket then? <laughs> well, I thought, uh, actually, I thought, even though it would be tough medicine for artist Gary, that when you're doing a strictly black and white comic, which means no gray tones, there was one exception, 97, I do a little bit of gray, and I, I hated doing it, I kind of gritted my teeth, but generally it is black and white. But not as stark as Sin City, for example. Mm-hmm. A plaid jacket, I thought, would be really visually interesting and plays into that style you know it would just okay. it would be something to look at it's period correct it will be fun to see you'll kind of see the neat thing about it is you see sort of the shape of this character's body when they're turning you can tell like you mm-hmm. very quickly resolve like yeah i see how they look i see where their body is i see where their arms are it is fun to look at uh it's a pain <laughs> to draw um but you know but that's some of that is you know, part of the comic experience is you want them to enjoy looking at it. Yeah. You know, it is both words and visuals. And so I do honestly believe, like, it'll pay off. It'll make for a more fun comic to look. It'll, and especially, you know, you'll just enjoy kind of looking at this jacket once in a while. You'll enjoy looking at this weird curtain. There are other things that will come later in the book that I think people, it'll be a pain to draw, but they'll enjoy looking at them, you mm. know, and especially weirdo lighting and stuff like that. It just adds some flare and each time i do a d versus m i look at the last one and i kind of post mortem it and think about where can i push further Mm -hmm. and i think after 75 i was like i want to really push the character in the writing this time so i did that and then after 97 it's like i want to stretch a little bit i think i'm being very safe artistically i think i want to push a little bit and so that's what's happening now in 79 i'm forcing artist gary to you know have to work a little bit Mm. Is there anything that you do right and that you change on the fly? Like, like it sounds like you're very strict with your things. Mm-hmm. Like, do you take audibles sometimes? You're like, you know what? I actually think this might be a little bit better and it's slightly less work or anything along those lines? Sometimes, but it's still fitting within the basic shape of what I planned out. So uh, a micro example of that, and this might have come up in a past podcast, when I'm laying my dialogue in, there's an aesthetic to a dialogue bubble that I, I'll, I'll look at it sometimes and realize if I can shave a couple words out of this or add a couple words to this, right. it'll just look better. And so there might be a little bit of rewriting. Also, there might be, sometimes I'll be setting up my page and I'll see that there's two panels and it's like, this could be one panel. Like I could stretch this across and have everything I have in those two and that's more fun to look at a nice big panel. So there's changes like that. There's never a big plot, like nothing. It's all little kind of uh, spit polishing stuff. Okay. It's like, yeah, this could be a little bit better. Right? Yeah, you know what, I, ha- I in my notes, I had this character making this kind of face, but I think it'd be better if it was more like this. And this, you know, a little, maybe a little more heat this time, or maybe I'm gonna pull this back subtler, or maybe I don't even need dialogue in this panel. Maybe I'll just have them like a still moment. Like there's as long, but it's basically the beats are all still there. I'm just improvising a little bit within it. When you're in artist Gary mode, do you, 
are you, have you already done like because I know you like to use um, uh, SketchUp right to create 3D models yeah. or do you use a different program or is it SketchUp for the 3D stuff I do SketchUp oh, okay yeah. do you do that in is that an in between phase so you got writer Gary 3D model Gary and then draw artist Gary SketchUp Gary 3D model Gary is <laughs> I sound like I'm schizophrenic like 17 um, Garys yeah <laughs> there's a lot of Garys that go into making a D versus M SketchUp Gary is uh, usually in my reference phase. Okay. So I'll write a script. Most of mine are period. Uh, it's all of them so far have been like set sometime in the past. And then that requires a level of research where I'm going and I'm finding just images of clothing of that time or technology like phones or cars or, you know, the first car there's like they have a CB radio in it. What does that look like? And I have to go down that rabbit hole of finding all that stuff. Are you doing that at the same time you're writing the script or is that... When I'm done. When I'm done, okay. Yeah, because I ultimately like... Like in the script, for example, D versus M 1975, like they're talk, they're calling in whatever they're doing on a radio. Mm-hmm. It's like, then I finished the script, finalized it, happy with the script. And then I go through and it's like, what do I need visual references for? What kind of ties were they wearing in 75? What kind of, how, what kind of handguns? How would someone be holding a handgun in 75? What was the training like? What kind of radio would be in the car? What kind of car would they be driving? What kind, you know, like that's when you start doing all that stuff. And I just gather, it ends up being a folder on my desktop of, you know, 1975 references, 1997 references, now 1979 references, mm-hmm. and then there's all these subfolders where it's like hairstyles, you know, clothes, wow. like yeah, whatever. You go real deep. Yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, and it's some of it is just my predilection. Some of it is it eases my anxiety when it comes time to drawing. Uh, I can tell you nothing will spike my anxiety more than when I have a looming, I have to get this page done in a week, I wrote something in here and I have no idea what that looks like. And now I'm doing research and trying to draw at the same time, that will freak me out. So I like to get all my homework done first. I know exactly what, I have folders and folders of reference images, I've made my SketchUp models if I have like a set or a car I need to see angles of, or whatever I need to make 3D to kind of visualize. Like the Mars bot in 97, I made a SketchUp model of the Mars yeah, bot. Yeah, so cool, super cool. Mm-hmm. And it keeps it consistent, and it makes it feel like, oh, he's not cheating this. There's something, like he's thought this through. I think that comes through, kind of like plaid jacket. It adds something to look at. But I like to get all those ducks in a row first. I don't want to be figuring that out on game day. I want there was rehearsal <laughs> like yeah. I know what I'm drawing yeah it's interesting two two super interesting things um, one is about your research you know because you know the adage about research is basically and in your case it's visual research so you do need to go a lot deeper but the adage on the you know the writer side when you when writer Gary walks back in the room is that research is is a is a dark place that you don't want to walk too far in the cave on because you might not ever come out right you you get so addicted to how cool the research is and how much fun you're having researching that you end up just researching and even worse, you end up trying to find a way to shoehorn all of the awesome research you did into your story. Right. And that's when it gets even worse because yeah. it's like now you're just taking away from the story even though you don't think you are, you know? Unfortunately, I've not had that problem yet. I can tell you it's been more the opposite where I did entirely too much and there might have been a glimpse of a thing in the background of a scene that was actually something that I had 18 pictures of. Yeah. You know, and I was like, and for example, like if you look at, in 75, there's a kitchen, I want it to look like a 1975 lower middle class kitchen. 
and there's like you know cereal boxes on the fridge and stuff like that and Tupperware like things and all the stuff period correct which I'm old enough to vaguely remember but I had way more of that stuff in my reference folder than you actually see in that scene it, yeah but because some of it I like to have the option when I'm drawing it it's you know sometimes you realize I have enough and you don't need all those things and sometimes you might realize like it'd be nice if I could add something here mm -hmm. and then you have the folder you know, it's like, well, let's go through. Let's see if there's some cool thing I can throw, like a macrame thing on the wall yeah, for a yeah. 70s thing. Something to like, oh, yeah, yeah, that helps. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think about that in terms of, and this is just my preference, but we'll see how it gets going forward. Because my second novel is a period novel. And uh, that one's, it, it's, it's a period that's pretty well known in terms of history. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, I'm just not sure how much I really want to read. You know, like, I don't want to read five books on it. So where I am right now with that is that I feel like my version of research is going to mirror how I feel about dialect. So I'm not a strong dialect guy in, in books. And Mike Perkins and I talked about this a while ago because um, well, one of the characters in uh, Kadoja Volume 2, he's, he's Russian. He's a Russian like military guy, basically sort of General Cruz's counterpart. They're friends. And... Um, and I had written him to be a lot more Russian in terms of the dialect, and we decided to pull that way back and just give him a few quick conversational signifiers so that you don't lose clarity, because that's the problem with dialect, right? You're gonna lose clarity if you get way too much into dialect. So you want what you want is you want the feel of dialect without putting a lot of the confusion around dialect that you get when you might go somewhere and then just sit there and listen to somebody, you're like, this is, this is very hard for me to understand. You know? Every time I think of dialect, writing dialect, I always go back to Bram Stoker's Dracula. I don't know if you've read it or read mm -hmm. it recently, but he writes all those like Cockney things phonetically. Yeah. And the first time you're reading it, you're like, "What the hell am I?" Like, it, it you feel like did did I just have a stroke? Am I not reading this right? But it's all like like so. For example, take would be spelled T Y K. Mm -hmm. Pike, you know, like, and it's yeah. all like written out. So when you yeah. read it out loud, it makes perfect sense, exactly. you know. But when you're looking at it, you're like, "What is happening? What is yeah. he doing?" That's an example where I think mm -hmm. maybe is a little too far in that direction. Oh, sure. Or it's it's kind of hard. It becomes like an obstacle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, listening to Scott's question from a little while ago, and listening to you know you you like refer to you know artist Gary writer Gary whatever. What what it what it giving me the it's giving me the feel that like writer Gary is treating artist Gary as like work for hire yeah and artist Gary is treating writer Gary as like the word is gospel I'm work for hire you know and uh, I was thinking about it in in the different ways that like how you're doing it is artist Gary gets a direction for writer Gary and goes like, fuck that guy. <laughs> right. Where yeah. a lot of artists, including some artists I've worked on have just been with, are just like, fuck that guy. Like I'm yeah. going to do what I want. Yeah. I'll you know, do it. And, yeah. but you don't do it that way. You do it in the like curse you as opposed to like, ah, fuck you. No, I'll do cause I, want. I guess, and I guess it's my orientation. I do ultimately think writer Gary and this will get into a little bit of what I was thinking might be a topic today, but I think ultimately writer Gary has a better sense of what's good. And I think artist Gary, because drawing is so much more work than writing, uh, artist Gary is way more incentive to be lazy. 
and way more incentive to cut corners and okay. way more incentive to maybe take the easier path even if it's diminishing the effect or the impact of something mm -hmm. so ultimately i know even though i am artist gary i know like no, the way is written is better. Yeah, writer yeah. Gary is the boss. Yeah, the and like yeah. I know what's best, not the way you want to draw it because it's easier. That nothing's best about doing it the easy way. Right. <laughs> like you know, I mean, sometimes you can all think of examples, but ultimately, I think writer Gary envisioned what he thought was the best story. You know, and so artist Gary has to do his best mm -hmm. within that confine. Is that the thing that you wanted to talk about from a while ago? That, like, the idea that, you know, writer Gary is here to give the orders because they have a more grand vision? No, what I was thinking of, it's kind of, it ties into the idea that uh, artist Gary, while writer Gary is maybe the more elevated creator, <laughs> uh, artist Gary has to do a lot more work. Like, it's... So you've written, you've written, mm -hmm. like, you know, like, I can tell you the worst, most painful script I ever had to write was probably D vs. M 1997. Maybe it was two or three months. Mm -hmm. And that's not full time. You know, yeah. that's chipping away at it, working on it, revisions, and it's still not quite right. And it was grueling as far as writing goes. Right. So now I'm drawing it. Now, okay, let's just say 97, since that's all done. Mm -hmm. 97 was 59 pages of comic. That's 59 weeks of drawing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about how hard writing is from writer Gary. Drawing Gary has it way worse. Right. Like, that's like a lot. That is grueling. And that is your life now for more than a year. Mm -hmm. Every bit of free time you have is put on the altar of drawing the comic. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, what I encountered, this was just two weeks ago, and I'm still thinking about it because it was the first time I've had this experience. And I'd be curious, especially if you've had this experience since you draw, but uh, if either one of you, maybe there's a writing equivalent. I've had my head down doing my page a week, page a week, page a week. And that's how it's always worked for me. It's just, I'm just going to concentrate. This is the, I have my page planned out, my thumbnails. I know exactly what I'm drawing and I just got to make it happen this week. And that's gone. I've had good luck with that. I've got two comics done and I'm going along pretty well with the third. Uh, I was restocking my Etsy shop and I wanted to get some prints for the con. So I was going to place a reorder and I thought, well, this is an opportunity to flip through them and see if there are any kind of little changes I want to make. Do I want to update the title page? Do I, I didn't want to do any George Lucas special edition stuff. I didn't want to make any, I wasn't going to redraw anything. Mm -hmm. Are there any corrections? Like, is anything I missed? Um, I have a parental warning on the back of my books. They're inconsistent. One looks a little different. Like 75s looks a little different from 97. Maybe now this is an opportunity to make them consistent. So for the first time in forever, I really sat down and paged by page through the books to see, is there anything I want to change before I do this reorder? And for the first time in forever, I sat and read 97 in particular. It's a 59 page book, lots of drawing, lots of different things, robots and facial acting and hand acting and soldiers and aliens and dinosaur it's like all this stuff and i was going through it and i was just struck by how much it was like 59 pages of work and it wasn't this is not a fault this is not a modesty thing it's like i can't believe how much i did that's great mm -hmm. yeah it was actually a chill in the pit of my stomach it was a weird feeling of like oh god like this is entirely too much and <laughs> I'm in the middle of doing this again and what it was a moment of I'm climbing Everest and for the rather than just like one foot in front of the other one foot in front of the, I like looked up and saw the peak and how far it was and was like what am I 
doing? Like, this is crazy. Am I, can I do this again? Mm -hmm. And there was like at least a day there where I was a little shook. And I quickly recovered. And I was like, no, 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 eyes down, one foot in front of the other. Stop, don't look, like, yes, you have a lot of pages. Don't look at how many pages you have left. Page a week. Little by little. It happens little yes. by little. You can't look at the whole. No. It's too much. No. I've, uh, I had, I just had this conversation twice um, this month with two different, two different people. And it's like, yeah, it's the blank white page. It's the fact that you have whatever your page count is, right? Pa starting at page one, you have to do all of them. So if it, have it be 22 pages, 24 pages, 59 pages. Yeah, you think about it and you're like, I have zero done. And I have to do how many pages? <laughs> and for me, it's one panel a day. And for you, it's one panel a week. And that's actually something we were trying to figure out. One page Keith, a week. Page one a week. Pa I'm sorry, yeah, one yeah. page a week. So that's something Keith was trying to figure out. I heard that one. Yes, yeah, yes. So yours was a page a week and mine's a panel a day. Which kind of works out to a panel a day. About yeah. the same. Yeah, because yes. usually I'm about, a, it's sort of, it's usually like a, my average is probably a six panel page. Four to six, four yeah. to six, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, um, it's just about tackling those small goals that you have. And then I used to have that all the time, that panic. Mm -hmm. That chill in the spine where, do I want this? Do I not want this? It used to happen with every single issue I would draw. Because once you finish, this is the messed up part about comics is, once you do all of this hard work, every single issue, you literally start over. Yes. It's like a sickness. So the I remember the first story arc was where I really felt that. It was every issue was like, oh man, this thing's still not done. Like, I finished issue two, and I'm like, I still have to draw three, four, and five just to finish this story. And so, and and honestly, this is a lesson that I heard before I started my comic. Guys, make sure your first comic is a one-shot or something like that. It's a one-and-done story because you can realize, like, is this a story that I want to pursue, or am I done with this and want to move on to something else? Mm -hmm. It's definitely always good to do a one-shot um, you standalone story or whatever for your first issue. Anyway. Well, and a mini. And like, a, I, everyone, yeah. and I didn't do that. I swung for the fences with my first one. 75 was the first comic I had ever done. But I was hearing everyone say, like, I'll start with a mini. That would have been nice. Mm. But. Yeah. Um, so, but I definitely had that before with the first story arc. But the beauty of making comics is the more you do it, the more pages you get under your belt, the less you feel that way, the less you feel... Yeah that dread to starting the next issue. Yeah. And if you do have those minor goals of one panel a day, it's not the big scary monster anymore. No. It's just one little thing that you gotta do. And if you can do that, you're gonna complete, eventually you're gonna complete the book. I mean, already I've done, when you think about it, I've done already a hundred pages of D versus M in just a few years, mm -hmm. you know? And like, and so now I'm doing another chunk and I plan to do more after that. And I'm still enjoying it and I, I actually am happiest when I have a creative project. I'm in still, and I have story to tell in D versus M. So I'm not like regretting it, but I did have that chill. And yeah, what helped me was again, reorienting towards page a week. And then also remembering something I thought early on, you know, a year from now, I can have one of two things. I can be totally caught up on my Netflix or I can have a finished comic. And which will I feel better about, right. you know? And that's, that when you do that math, it's like, it's easy. Yep. It's easy. Yeah, this, so there is writer equivalent. It's a novel. There you Which go. is hilarious because that's exactly what you were thinking of doing in a while. After, like, yeah, when I wrap up. Jump from one to the other. Jump from one to the other. I mean, I've been working on this novel almost four and a half years now. 
And I can tell you that the moment, there's going to be a moment coming very soon when I'm going to have that looking up Everest thing. And it's when this is done. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, I want to write another one of these. (laughs) Because who fucking knows what that's going to look like? You know I mean? This is four and a half years of my life of something that is, and this is like, Good living life, you know. Like I'm, I've worked every day, yeah, every single day with maybe one or two days over four and a half years where I have not been in this novel, and uh, you never, you never put that head up, you know. I mean, I've mm-hmm. I've run a marathon, and that was exactly how I tricked myself into running a marathon. I was not running a twenty six point whatever mile race. I was running a a four-mile race, a seven-mile race, a nine-mile race, and then whatever the balance is, another four-mile race, because that was how I broke up the course. Yeah. You know, and then I I just made a a point of, and and I psyched myself this way. I was like, at the end of mile one, there's a water station. You get yourself some water. At the end of mile two, there's a Gatorade station. You get yourself that. At the end of mile three, you eat that gross-ass pudding or whatever the fuck it is that's like the energy pudding, you know? <laughs> and, and you just break it down like that. Yeah. And that same same with this novel. I never bothered to put my, my head up, and it's almost done now. And I'm going to make sure that I keep that head down when I decide to run this race all over again. And I don't... I honestly don't believe there's any way to achieve anything extraordinary without being able to mentally game yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... And even just a small example, like, not like a marathon, but... I think we're all fit guys. Like I do planking as part of my little exercise routine and I'll try to set it for like a minute and a half, two minutes. That's sort of my little, you know, so if I sit and watch that clock, like I will lose my mind and feel like I can't do this. Yeah. But if instead I'm just sitting there and it's like, just not think about it and just like focus on like, just keep steady and don't worry about what the time is, then you can kind of coast through and it's like, like marathons, like climbing a mountain. All the cliches you can think of. Journey of a Thousand Steps. Or, you know, it's yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and planking is like that in minutia because never has a minute 30 seems so, so long. So long, yeah. You're just right. waiting for that timer or right. whatever, you know, right. like, or whatever exercise you're holding, that yeah. kind of thing, man. Um, well, that sounds like we've talked a lot. Anything else you want to add from artist Gary before we... That's where I'm at. I'm, you know, I'm, I enjoy I enjoy having the thing to work on, and I'm happy with how it's coming together. I've shared little bits with you guys, but like I'm eager to start sharing more once I have more finished work. Um, and now part of the mental game is it's exciting to get to different parts of the story. And those are the little mile markers. Most immediately is this page. But then I'll have marked on my calendar, like, for example first reveal of this character or this happens you know like where i see like oh this will be fun to draw like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting to this but i can't think about when will it be done and it's also why i've been very slippery and cagey when people ask like when will it be it? it's like i can't i, I, I do can't you, talk about it well do you yourself know like based on, i have a pretty good idea yeah based yeah. on your My your regimen your your schedule it's like yeah okay you know how many pages it is and you know you do a page a week, so yes. you, you kind of roughly got to know. Yeah. I roughly know, and the only reason it's rough is because there are, looking ahead, there are half dozen pages maybe where there's no way it's going to take me a week to draw them. Like, I'll be able to crank them out in a day or two. Oh, nice. Which means I might be able to get a couple two-page weeks in there, 
But that's like the plus or minus. So I know kind of like an earliest and latest date I'll okay. probably be done. And that's why I've been non-committal when people are like, when will it be done? It's like, we'll see. We'll mm. see. I don't know. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's very cool, man. All right. Well, so you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore invader. That is Keith doing all kinds of Keith things, uh, writing, putting quotes up, and of course the comics I do. And then there's also at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word. And that is all things Kadoja. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can find me on Instagram, Dinosaurs versus Marsbots, Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots, and on YouTube under my name, Gary Hodges. Yeah, in terms of websites, I have KeithRFoster.com. That has blog posts, it has a page on Kadoja, a page on Three Protectors. Uh, there's a web store where people can get stuff and uh, the, my books and whatever. So yeah, Kadoja is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft meets Giant Monsters, and Three Protectors is Interplanetary Kung Fu. And you can find my books on AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, all at AccidentalAliens.com. Uh, you can find me on my Etsy shop, which there are links to it through my YouTube and aforementioned Instagram. Uh, there's a restock right now. Get them while they're hot. I hope they're still in stock when this airs. Yeah, and then in terms of, hey, you're listening to this podcast right now. And you may have a minute or two to spare in your life. And if you do, then we would love it if you gave us five stars. And love it even more if you gave us some nice words on top of that. Again, just let's, re let's all remember, we own the algorithms. You own the algorithms. You can own them right now by giving us a killer review on Spotify or on iTunes. So... Like, fuck those algorithms, make them yours, we're going to take the power back. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns about the algorithms, or that word I just tried to say, you can hit <laughs> us up. French? Yes, bonjour. Uh, Makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, send all your stuff over there, or you can contact us at uh, any of those, you know, social medias we gave you. If you got questions uh, for Gary, you know, you can either hit him up or you can tell us, and then we'll tell him. Maybe we'll air him here on the air. Yeah. Yeah, words. Terrifying. All right, we're going to go watch Obi-Wan Let's now. watch yeah. some Kenobi, man. It was, it was great to have you on. You know, there was a test, and we all know. You pissed. <laughs> I'm so You passed. I passed. You right. passed the ass right after you passed the grass. <laughs> all right, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah. have bullshit to talk about i actually don't think i have anything <laughs> you're bullshitless yeah